mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. And we're here to tell their stories. Here's your host, Andrew Lawrence. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. Thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started as always. The hashtag needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding opacities. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. And now, here's a message from one of the sponsors who make this program possible. Lorenzo's Italian Restaurant has been a part of the Las Cruces community for over 25 years, supporting schools, shelters, and veterans. Even during COVID times, Lorenzo's is offering patio tent dining, delivery, curbside pickup, chow now online, and mobile app ordering. Now offering customers any signature or two-topping pizza for only $15. There's only one Lorenzo's in town. And it's at 1753 East University in Pan Am Plaza. You can call 575-521-3505. And ladies and gentlemen, just a little bit of ad lib here. If you've never had a Lorenzo's meatball, you've never had a Lorenzo's meatball. By the way, dip their bread in some of the oil with a little bit of salt, a little bit of Parmesan. You will not be disappointed, I guarantee you. My guest today is a native of Animas, New Mexico. He's a United States Navy veteran and a martial artist who didn't actually start competing in mixed martial arts and boxing until he was almost 40 years old. Randy McCarty, welcome to the Square Peg Podcast. Thanks, man. You know, it's funny, um, and you're, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you about a nickname you have that you've never heard before. Um, anybody who knows, I knew I was going to get a chuckle out of you. Anybody who knows Randy knows that his, uh, his nickname is Wreck-It Randy. I believe that's your Instagram handle, right? Yes. It's, it's Wreck-It Randy. And, um, of course, me being a, a professional wrestling fan all my life and a referee in some local professional wrestling promotions, uh, I've seen the movie The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, and his name is Randy the Ram. So just a needle Randy every time I interact with him or comment on one of his Instagram or Facebook posts, I call him Randy the Ram. Yeah. But I also have this thing, and I've done it since I kid. I, don't, I was a kid. I don't know why I do it, but... I always like to, in my name, pick something that rhymes with your name, um, and that's how I. Re- that's how because I'm horrible with names. Yeah. So, in addition to Randy the Ram, whenever I see your name or interact with you, I think of Billy Barty, Randy McCarty. <laughs> and you don't look like right. Billy Barty. You're not a little yeah. person, um, but in my mind, you're you're Randy McCarty. Well, no, you're you're. He's not fat. He's a little person, or he was a little person. I mean, Randy McCarty, Wreck It, Randy, Randy the Ram, and Billy Barty, Randy McCarty. How many names can one guy have? Um, I don't know. But Randy, I, thank you for being on the show. And you know, ju- I just learned something about you uh, when you walked in here that I didn't know. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later if you care to. Sure. But um, so yeah, one of the things I've been doing since we, especially since we started season two, we started recording last month. Um, I've been kind of asking everybody how their life has changed uh, with the pandemic. And I know that some people uh, are more observant of protocols, COVID protocols. My family, personally, we've been very, you know, we haven't really done much outside the house. Um, I actually stopped going to my gym up the hill uh, about 10 days before they closed gyms. 
Uh, I've been working out. We've got a nice, nice little gym at work, and and I've got uh, you see me post uh, to my Facebook. Um, I've been using you know steel maces and clubs and things right. like that. And if there are people on the other side of it who really haven't altered their lives uh, very much, and my assumption was for the most part you haven't. Right. Um, what what has been different for you in the last year? Well, of course, there's no um, there's no movies, and I used to like to watch go to the movies like every week. I'd go take a break and just sit down. And- veg out for a little bit because my life's pretty busy i get up early in the morning i work all day train on the afternoon i go to bed i get home by 9 nine thirty at night so from basically six in the morning till nine at night i'm not home so when i get to watch a movie it was kind of nice um i like eating indoors <laughs> and it's not been fun to have to eat outside and i want to support um local businesses but very very challenging whenever you like that i i'm not fun to me and and as somebody who's an active active fighter and and uh, and competitor in in professional boxing, professional mixed martial arts, I know for a fact you haven't competed in New Mexico. No, because as I was interviewing one of my, another guest uh, earlier today, uh, I worked the last event uh, in New Mexico up in Albuquerque. It was um, what is Holly Holmes' manager's name? Uh, Lenny Frescas. Uh, he puts on his shows at one of the casinos up there in Albuquerque, and that was on March eighth. And boy, it was right after that that they shut things down. So I I know that you haven't. Um, done any fighting here in New Mexico? I haven't even fought in the in the states. All I've ever all, all last year I I fought and won all my fights in Mexico, and then I'm fighting again. I have two more fights already scheduled in Chihuahua for this year. Well, and we're going to talk about that coming up. Um, but I, I do have a habit of of going, and I guess there's nothing wrong with this going chronological. You're from from Animus, right? Which is in the far southwest portion of New Mexico, right? Correct. Now, I anybody who grows up in Animus, I would imagine uh, your parents or your your father were either ranchers or in the mines. Uh, in the mines, yes. My dad was a security chief for the for Phelps Dodge Mine, and I grew up in the little town there. And how far is Playas from Animus? Thirty minutes, and Animus is the um, where the school was at, and so that's where everybody knows. But Playas is the little town that all of us grew up in. So you actually grew up in Playas, correct? Okay, now I now many years ago when I was involved in doing some other things at my job, we did quite a bit of training because they have a, there was a partnership I believe with uh, New Mexico Tech and they have some sort of uh, training facilities. So. Yeah, it's a training facility for for mass uh, events, if right. you will. And I know that you know, fifteen years ago, I used to spend spend some time once a month or so, uh, or every other month out in Playas, and that's really my only exposure to it. Um, what was it like? What kind of opportunities were there for you to be involved in sports and activities in a place like Playas or Animus where there really isn't much of anything? So in Animus, um, we had basketball and football for for guys, and volleyball for girls, and basketball and everything. But that was it. So we all played football. You know, our, was, it, was it eight man or five or six man it, football? It was no, it was two 11. a two a um, football. Okay. When I was there, now it's eight man, but um, or six man, whatever it is, but. At the time, we, we when I was in high school, we won 69 games without losing. We just won for 12 years, state championships, went to Hawaii, was on Time Magazine. Because all these kids, all they get to do is one of two things, basketball or, fo- or football. And we're really good at football. <laughs> you know, so lifting hay and throwing all that for all the ranchers and stuff. Hitting a person's not that hard to do, you know. <laughs> Well, now, Randy, you're you're about my. I mean, you're my age, right? I just turned forty-seven last week. Yeah, I, I turned forty-seven this week. Okay, so you're growing up mostly in the in the late seventies and 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 the eighties in Playas and Animas, New Mexico. 
Um, probably not a whole lot of exposure. No, none. Um, there's no internet, obviously. Uh, cable <laughs> yeah. TV? Uh, yeah, there was 13 channels. <laughs> did you have MTV? I mean... No. Uh, wow, had- so you didn't... I mean... You want to talk about, and I want to say you're like living on the moon, but I mean, we were sheltered for sure. We were very sheltered. And and at what point did you realize? At some point, you left and joined the navy, right? So I I left for college for one semester, then I came back, got married, had kids, and worked for the mine. Right, fell in the same groove everybody else did. Afraid to move out because you didn't know what was out there. You're very sheltered. And then once we got past, I the Phelps Dodge closed down Plyus, and so our jobs were gone. So I didn't have any any other skills. So I went in the Navy, tested well. How old were you? 26. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I went in the Navy at 26. Everybody called me Grandpa. I was like, whatever. It doesn't matter. You guys are idiots. But um, went through boot camp, went through A school, blew, blew the tests out of water, did really good, learned that no matter where I was at, I was actually successful, and I got unafraid of going out and exploring. Went all over the world, started boxing in the Navy, um, did karate all my life, but did boxing in the Navy and got caught by my captain fighting one time whenever all we had were gloves, no wraps, no mouthpiece, no headgear, and there's just blood all over the floor. And the captain's like, what are you doing in my ship? <laughs> that sounds like a very Randy McCarty thing to do. Yeah, we were smiling and we're just, we're just boxing <laughs> all tired. And he's like, would you clean this up after us? Like, we always do. He's like, oh, how many times? How many times has this happened on my ship? So after that, he started um, using me on other ships to bet on me, and he would I'd fight other people on other ships, and he would bet on me and win. And, and did he <laughs> did he kick up or kick down to you? I mean, did you get a, did well, you get a taste of what? He- no, no. What happened was um, when we went after I think I fought like six different on six different ships, and then we went to Hong Kong was our next station or our next port, and he gave me a, a open pass, paid for my my hotel room. Paid for all my food. It was like, hey, you and a you and a friend, enjoy the four days. <laughs> so I was free for four days in Hong Kong. And what was your MOS in the Navy? What did you do? I was electronics tech. And what do you do as an electronics tech? You, uh, you fix electronics or? Yeah, you fix everything that's from computers to radars and everything in between. So they call a lot of people call ETs everything techs instead of electronics techs because anything that has to do with electronics, anything that plugs into the wall, we fix from cell phones to laptops to radar everything and and what kind of ships were you on i was on a ddg a destroyer and how big is something like that a 315 feet long <laughs> is, is that considered is that pretty long for a navy ship no that's that's a mid-sized ship it's it's not a frigate which is the smallest one but it's no no nowhere near a carrier okay so it's a mid-sized ship and you spent how long in the navy six years six years do you feel like you got out of it what you wanted to get out of it? Yeah. I, I went in knowing that I had the education, but I didn't have the um, experience in electronics and um, computers and all that type of stuff. I had the, I went to school for it, but I didn't have any experience, so I couldn't get jobs outside. And when I went in, my whole, jo- my whole goal was to get the experience so I could have um, a job when I left. And my, co- my chief, E7, told me that I was going to regret it, that I was going to be kicking myself because um, – I won't be able to get a job for more than $40,000 a year when I get out. And he was just trying to scare me to, to re-enlist. And I said, when I when I get my job, I'm going to email you. I'm going to tell you to start kicking. <laughs> Kick yourself because he had the same training I did. And my first job was 32 bucks an hour. And I emailed him. I was like, hey, man, start kicking. 
<laughs> well, you can't you can't complain about that. Now, no. you mentioned having done martial arts your whole life, and that's something right. you didn't talk about when you talk about where we had football and we had basketball. Tell me about your martial arts training as a kid. So, I was trained my entire life. My dad was a was my sensei. So whenever we were in our gis, I called him sensei. Whenever he was um, outside of that, he was dad. And we sparred all the time with each other, like karate style sparring. Learned all, worked my way up through the through the belts. And um, since he taught me, he taught everybody in town. Like anybody who wanted to know karate, he taught he taught him. He was the only one in town. And we would go to tournaments in different places and fight, and um, lots of weird experiences with that because. You, you've been to tournaments. It's kind of strange how stuff goes on with there anyway. So, yeah. Um, and uh, what um, what 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 brand or, or type of martial arts? So my dad's um, karate is called Mokenru Karate. Okay, so Okinawan or yeah. Japanese? Japanese. Okay, and um, well, that's interesting. Did he? Where did you guys train? Just like in the backyard or at the community center in Playa? So my my hometown had a thousand thousand people in it. So really small, but they had a community center. They had a swimming pool. And they had a bowling alley. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I remember the bowling alley. Two lanes, right? Yeah, two or three, something like that. Yeah. So you, um, when did you get out of the navy? Uh, when I was thirty-two, I did six years. So fifteen years ago, two thousand seven, six. I mean, two thousand six. And you, you said you've been able to 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 translate your your navy training uh, in electronics into some pretty gainful employment. You yes. now you work on the other side of the hill, right? Right. I work at White Sands Missile Range. Now, now for people who are listening to this show outside of uh, Southern New Mexico. When we say over the you know over the hill, well, there are basically two facilities here in town. There's the NASA site, which is on this side of the hill or on this side of the San Agustin Pass uh, over the Oregon Mountains, and then there's the White Sands Missile Range on the other side. And most of the people who work at any one of those facilities, when you ask them what they do for a living, they will usually say, "I work at NASA, I work at White Sands, or I work over the hill." And that's about all they will say because it's about all they can say. Right um, now, of course, Randy, I won't ask you, you know, who you work for or anything, but. Uh, it's enough to know that you work over there. Yeah. And um, are you doing the same type of work? Yes. I'm, I use the same skills that I got through the Navy What is what got me this job. And have you been with the same employer for 15 years? or? No, I came out here in 2008, so from 2008 till now. So, Is it the same employer? Because I know that the contracts change from right. time to time. So No, I've, I've had um, – let's see. I was, I was with Syndetics, and then Syndetics – Lost the contract, and I'm now with this one. But there's been four contracts changes while I've been there. But I've been with two different companies. I mean, never a shortage of work, though. I mean, the skill no. that you have, the vocation that you have, is something that's pretty much recession-proof. And and um, we hope so. Yeah, you hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, you've been you've you've been consistently employed for since 2008. Even right? even through the pandemic, it, every, we're st- I'm still considered essential, which I'll take because I get paid when I'm essential. There you go. Well, and when you say you started off at thirty-two bucks an hour, it makes me feel like kind of an idiot for going to college and getting a history degree. <laughs> I still got my, I still got my degree. I, it just wasn't at the beginning. I, I got it through my GI Bill and everything. Well, I mean, and and if you follow Mike Rodal, do you know who that is? Yes. Um, I mean, it's it. You can't be said enough. The number of people now who are going into debt to get degrees for which there are no jobs is just kind of ridiculous. And that's yeah, asinine. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, you know what I do for a living and that's translatable to other things to an extent, but, um, I'm not good with my hands. I don't have a trade and I don't know a vocation. And I, from time to time, I'm, I'm a little bit envious of guys who, who have skills like you have and, or guys who knows how to know how to weld or can fix cars. Cause man, those are some good livings to be made right. and it's, it's going to be hard 
for people to start to realize that going to college is not, it's become so in, in the United States, you know, my wife is from another country. She's from Canada. And, and I learned that up there, the terms college and university are not used interchangeable. Like they're right. here. If you go to university, that means a four year, four year program. Going to college is more of a community college. And the idea that in the United States, everybody has to go to university. Everybody has to go to a four year. Whereas uh, it, to be, to, and for a long time, that might have been the case to make a better life for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like now going into the military and get, spending two or four years getting a trade or going to a trade school is probably going to serve a lot of people a lot better. It really depends on the person, though. Like, there are people that, like, I'm not good at farming. I can farm, but I'm not good at farming. But I would be lost if, I, if somebody told me, you need to be a farmer. You know what I mean? But other people go, this is simple. This is just easy life. Or it's, it's hard work, but it's it's easy for them to do. Um, and I know people that are just absolutely hate school. Super smart people, but hate school. They should go get a vocation. They shouldn't suffer through four more years of something they absolutely hate to have more bills. Whenever you can go get your vocation for, depending on what it is, you know, welding isn't isn't a two-year degree, I don't believe. It's not? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I was thinking it was maybe with classwork and everything, but the... If you can go test through it and pass it, then you get it, you know. But still, two years is half the price as four years, you know. So yeah, there, like I said, there are a lot of people going forty, fifty thousand dollars in debt to get a degree in anthropology or gender studies, or you know, and not to <laughs> not to crap on. No, look, no, no, if I, I could go back to school and audit, I think those are both very interesting hmm. things to study. But there's not really a whole lot uh, that's translatable in the real world. I right. mean, you're not going to be able to pay those pay those student debts back pouring coffee which is really all the jobs that well it's it's like the guys that say i want to be a navy seal okay great and then they become a navy seal and then afterwards they go i don't have any job all you did was turn out learn how to take out bombs part you how do you adjust that to something else you know and i'm not i'm not dissing on that either we need those people but once they're out they don't have something that can they can still make a living off of no it it, it makes total sense and obviously i'm glad to see as as a a nice guy and a, and a friend. I consider you. I'm glad to see you're able to make a living, um, and and to be able to fuel your your pay all your medical bills for all the dumb stuff you I do. Paid any medical bills? Who's <laughs> who's paying them? Whenever I get, get in fights and I get injured, um, which is a lot actually, but um, <laughs> the, the the promoter always covers it. They, they cover 100. percent They have to cover 100. percent I I wondered that because I think you and I, I think the last time we we all worked together when Billy, Billy fought yeah. and he took that illegal knee to the head. Well, he they, was in a bad way. They charged him for it, and he's like, they put it on me. I was like, no, no, no. And I I fought with with the promoter, and I was like, hey man, speaking of not, Navy SEALs, right? <laughs> yeah. And I said, hey man, no, they they're not pay, they're not charging your insurance. They're trying to charge him, and we and it took us a few months, but they don't. They, none of the fighters should ever pay for any of the stuff. That's why they have such high insurance insurances to become a promoter. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to be a promoter. You have to have a lot of stuff taken care of first. Well, I actually learned, um, I was talking to somebody earlier about a training. You know, the work I do with the Athletic Commission, mm-hmm. uh, the Association of Boxing Commissions did a training up in Santa Fe a couple of years ago that I went to because at the time I was still try- actively trying to get into to getting my judge's certification. And okay. uh, the guy who taught the, the MMA, I did the boxing portion on Saturday and the MMA portion on Sunday, and Jaron Valal, who was a from time to time referees in UFC? Uh, he's from Winnipeg, and I was telling him how you know I, I um I have my wife is from Canada and she's in the Niagara area, and I promised her years ago when we got married that we could move up there when I retire, and you know I, I'd like to continue doing doing some work in combat sports. And he mentioned 
that there's virtually no MMA in Ontario right. because they force promoters to have a million dollar insurance policy. But they all come across to um, to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. I fought there. I fought in there, and there's lots of Canadians that came. I was about to say Canucks, but that come down there. Well, that's what they are too. They're all, yeah, they're all Canucks. Canucks. No, I remember, and again, you and I are the same age. Before the internet, when you would look at the sports page on Sunday, and you would open up to whatever page it was that had all the box scores for the different sports. Right. I remember in the bottom right hand corner, it was always it was called the fight schedule, and it had. And this was before MMA, really. But I remember it would show every boxing card, basically every professionally sanctioned boxing card for the next month. And I always remember seeing Niagara Falls because of all the casinos up there. Right. Um, and the beauty of living where we're going to live if we move up there is I'm going to be 10 minutes from the border. So I've got the Canadian side. And then um, I actually just reached out to a guy who used to be the chairman of the, the commission here in New Mexico to see if he had any contacts with the New York State. Um, because I have that's, those, by the way. You've, you've got, you know, <laughs> hey, if it, I, was, I was just telling somebody else earlier that um, really the only thing that I would ever want to do full time that would hold my interest other than what I'm doing now is if I could find work in combat sports. There just aren't full-time jobs, um, not that many. Right. But that takes us to, um, obviously, you know, you're on the Square Peg podcast because you are a square peg. <laughs> Most of the guys you're fighting are half half your age. Um, you Definitely. got into, like I said, you're 46, you'll be 47 this year. And I think you told me you didn't start fighting. Uh, granted, you've, you've been training your whole life, but you did not start fighting competitively in, in mixed martial arts and boxing until you were what age? I was 36 whenever I started doing my first MMA fight. Okay. I I went through Golden Gloves and won Golden Gloves as a Masters. I was the only one that was a Masters, the only Masters champion they've had. In boxing. Because I I was old, you know. And then um, I had my my amateur career, I guess if you call it a career, was for three years. In In MMA or boxing? In MMA and boxing both. Okay. So my average fights was around 12 fights a year when I was an amateur. Okay, and were you were you fighting? And for those of you who don't know, you now if you're looking at a, basically if you're seeing something on television, they're probably all going to be pro fights. If you're looking at Bellator and UFC, um, those are all obviously professional fights. Now the majority of the the promotions you'll see, uh, I think Randy, I've only worked. The only fighting you do in New Mexico is on Southwest Brawl, right? I'll, no, I've I've fought for King of the Cage. Okay, and I've fought um, the Jackson series once. Okay, for but, the for the most part, you where you and I have worked together has been here locally. Correct. For, for Edgar and his partner on uh, Southwest Brawl. Now, most of those fights you'll see, there will be a 12-fight card, and the first eight or nine fights are amateur. Right. There's uh, two to three fights that are pro. Two to three pros, and those for obvious reasons, because the promoter doesn't have to pay <laughs> 75% of the guys on his on his card. And amateurs bring in a lot of people that their families that want to watch, and so they make the money without having to spend any out. And, and, and something that uh, when you get on the big cards, your name sells the right. tickets. But on the on the regional circuit, you're responsible for selling tickets for the promoter. I, right? I hustle, yeah. No, I know you always do, and that's that's one of the things. I think you you didn't get booked on one of the cards, and I think you told me it was because Edgar wasn't happy with the number of not of me. He he didn't he didn't book me because the other people in my gym were not selling tickets. Okay, so my my gym had like six people on the on the card. <clears throat> Sorry, um, and they sold maybe. 15 tickets and i sold three thousand dollars worth and so he says hey I, i'm not going to let you be on this card because i want to teach your gym a lesson <laughs> okay says, all right that sucks for me but right okay and um then the the next card when i when i did it i brought i got a 20 percent or 20 percent of the card sales i i got 
and I sold $5,000 worth of tickets. And the last three fights I fought for him, I've sold between $5,000 and $7,000 worth of tickets. Well, you're, I mean, you obviously, you, you, you and Randy, I know you do have a good following because you're not just a fighter, you're a dancer as well. <laughs> That doesn't mean I'm a good dancer. I didn't say you were a good dancer. I said you're a dancer. Uh, and you do have your, your patented pose you do when you're, you're stare down at the weigh-ins. And I mean, you're, you're branding yourself and that's what fighters Frank, do. Yeah. You're selling, you're not selling pay-per-views. You're selling tickets. Right. Um, did anybody, and I, and I, I was mistaken. I thought you were a little bit older when you actually started competing in MMA and boxing. I thought you were closer to 40. Did you ever have anybody tell you or try to talk you out of? doing this say come on man what are you doing you're 36 years old um yeah. now well, of course you don't have a problem getting booked now because you're and i don't think you mind the, the 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 moniker or the or the description you're a journeyman fighter yeah um you fight a lot you're not fighting in the high you know the high profile cards mm -hmm. but you get a lot of work mm -hmm. you get a lot of fights and uh you entertain people so you you're not having trouble getting booked but did you ever have any promoters give you a second thought being you know do i, I want to book a guy who's in his late 30s yeah I actually had a fight that I was asking to go for. Like on <clears throat> on Facebook, they put out, "Hey, we need this guy for this card, right?" And they said, "We need a two o five er for this card. It's in two weeks." And I went, "Ooh, I'll do it, right? I'll accept it." And the the matchmaker actually was honest with me, which is very very rare. You know, normally they're very slick, and they let you know that, "Hey, we're not we're gonna take somebody else." Blah blah blah. But this one said, to be honest, they're not going to take you. And I said, why? They're looking for up-and-comers. Oh, so because I'm old, you're not going to take me, right? And I said, yeah. And then, like, about four months later, they called me three days before the fight asking me if I was going to fight for them. I said, no, I'm too old. And I, was, I didn't take that fight. I very rarely don't take fights. But I was like, no, I'm too old, remember? And they're like, I shouldn't have told you that. No, you should have. You should be honest with me. You know, but realistically, I'm not an idiot. I know that UFC doesn't want me. You know, they don't want a 46-year-old guy going in there and beating up their 22-year-olds. They don't. They want to say that this is a young man's sport. Their bodies look amazing. They're all exciting. And then you have this gray-haired guy coming in with a mohawk and beating him up and smiling while he's doing it. I actually just watched, I don't remember the name of the promotion, but a young, a young kid actually I've worked with who's, who was out of Hobbs for a while, B.J. Joe Hurst, made his pro debut in Oklahoma. Um, and I, and I downloaded the fight app F I T E. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I had never heard of it before, but I, he was telling me how to stream it. And they actually had a fight. It was somewhere in Oklahoma. There was a heavyweight bout between a guy in his forties and a guy who was like 63 years old, mm -hmm. which personally I think is a little bit irresponsible. I wouldn't, as a promoter, I wouldn't book somebody that age, mm -hmm. but, um, no. And it seems to me that you've had, uh, now when I first met you, when I met you was the first, my first event I ever worked with the athletic commission. Uh, here at the Las Cruces Convention Center, and I've been a uh, UFC fan since almost since the beginning, since 1994. Right. Um, we were at my buddy Matt's house. It was Fourth of July. That was the day that the, we, when the U.S. hosted the World Cup in soccer, U.S. beat Colombia, and my buddy Jimmy shows up with these two VHS tapes from Blockbuster. He's like, "Hey guys, found this like Ultimate Fighting Challenge or something, whatever it is," and I've been hooked ever since. And um, I've been a big fan, but I hadn't been around the fighters. Right. And I really didn't know what to expect. And I've been a boxing fan my whole life, um, but I didn't know what to expect. And I get there and I see, you know, Randy walk in and, and you're you're a big guy. I mean, you're about my size, a little bit lighter. Um, and I think you might have fought at 185 that day. That but time, yeah. you come in with your, you know, your wannabe Chuck Liddell hairdo. And <laughs> um, 
And I didn't I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if I should be afraid of you. I didn't know if, if you were this volatile guy who's gonna you're gonna go off on the officials in the back and and, and after like five minutes I'm like Randy's the nicest guy like come on. Randy's not mean. He's a and, and you and you are. You've been a fun guy to be around this whole time and and um you, you have surrounded yourself obviously with, with like minded people. I mean Billy used to work in my building. He's a fantastic guy. You guys are on the same team. Um, I interviewed B.A. Wilson um, right. on my second episode uh, of the podcast last season. Um, there's J- Justin and, and, and your, your, your strength and the conditioning coach, Mike Jason. You guys have all maintained kind of that connection, but you've gone uh, through some incarnations. I know for a while you were training at a, a judo school up on the hill. Yes. Uh, you do your boxing, uh, at least on Sunday, fun day, uh, DA boxing. Yes. But it seems like a couple years ago you found a new home at Briggs MMA. Yeah, I used to train at, with Red Spider MMA and with Daryl, with Daryl, and that was my MMA stuff. I have a brown belt in judo, and I trained under Oscar, um, and then Tina Hero. I always mess up his last name. Um, and then whenever Red Spider was dissolved, um, all the fighters that still wanted to fight were training at the same gym, and kind of got pushed out of the gym we were in. So I actually called Mike. I'm um, sorry, I called up. Justin, and Justin says, hey, I would suggest you go talk, talk to Briggs. I said, all right. So I wrote him on Facebook. Hey, I'm a pro fighter um, looking for a new home. <laughs> and they're like, we're really not taking any no- more fighters. You can come and come and roll and see what you think, but we're not here to take fighters. I said, okay, I just need somewhere to get better on my jiu-jitsu. And I went in there, and everybody that was a belt higher belt than me smoked me. And everybody that was... Same belt as me. I worked hard, hard, hard. And I wasn't used to that. I was normally beating everybody <laughs> and teaching people. So now I had somebody that could mold me into a better fighter. And he's put me in, made me a black belt. Um, not just given me a black belt, but I've competed against other black belts and I'm solid, which is exciting. Which was just last year. Was it, was it 2020 or 2019? Uh, 2019 is when I got it. And and you of course we should call you professor now nah. because as you're a Brazilian jiu jitsu black belt, <laughs> uh, you technically are a professor. Ned, did you and Justin get promoted on the same night? Uh, Justin Predmore? Yeah. No, he got promoted last this last year. Okay. A year later. And I, and I know and and I've talked to him at length about his story and he's yeah. had to do a lot of moving all over the yes. place and there's I know unfortunately there's some politics and <laughs> uh, in the BJJ community especially if you're with a, with one brand or the other or one one franchise. Um, no, but I'm glad to see that. And I remember, I really didn't know your professor. Uh, I had seen him because his fighters had fought on Southwest Brawl cards. And right. He's got his, his shirt that he wears that says professor on it. Um, but, of course, I've been following you. And, um, you know, if you ever want to know what it's like, um, you know, not everybody, and I feel really kind of kind of lucky to have had this opportunity. Um, you know, not every average middle-aged guy gets an opportunity to try to hit a, a, a major league fastball off of a major league pitcher. Um, and not every middle-aged guy who plays pickup basketball or is in a league gets to play one-on-one against an NBA player. Right. But a couple of years ago, after I started training here locally at uh, uh, Gracie Baja, Randy came to one of our open mats on a Saturday afternoon. We did a little no-gi roll. And if you want to know what it's like for a middle-aged guy who's never been more than an average athlete at anything he's ever done <laughs> uh, to roll with a professional fighter, I'll just say that um, I really thought Randy was going to break my ribs when you went <laughs> neon belly. Um, Not but, on purpose, at least. Of course, you wouldn't do that to me on purpose. But um, no, and it's a very clear look when when you when when he, when somebody like me walks into a BJJ school uh, and gets strangled by a hundred and twenty pound twenty two year old. 
uh, right away. The word humbling doesn't even begin to right. Doesn't even begin to. And then, but again, to put things in pers- perspective, of course, I tease Randy a lot because he's my age and he's an old man, and uh, he gets injured and things like that. But uh, I really shouldn't because I know. It, I mean, how many times did you did, did you uh, submit me in one five minute round? I don't count he didn't count things like that, and then I'd, I'd be embarrassed, probably embarrassed to say. But no, no, no. You, you were, you were nice to me, and, and and I don't mind it too much. But you have had some injuries. A couple of years ago, you ruptured your Achilles, right? Complete, complete rupture. Yeah. How did that happen? I was overtraining. I was basically, I was, had been training, getting ready for a fight. I had three weeks out from a fight, and I was throwing a knee towards the bag, and my, I heard a just big pop. I looked down, and my, oh shoot! I laid down, screamed, um, freaked out. And my leg was messed up. So then I had surgery three days later, four days later. And um, took about a year to recover. And my my doctor told me, I'm sorry, Mr. McCarty, but you'll never fight again. And I went, hmm. He doesn't know you. That's what my daughter told him, told me. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, he doesn't know me. You know? And so then I started, tra- I went to my physical therapist and I said, when, when do you think you'll release me? He says, we'll release you on this date. I said, okay. So I have a fight one month you after that. Fight. And I told him, I said, hey, I have a fight in December. He's like, what? You said you'd release me in, in November. I'm going to have a fight in December. Let's get you. And my my um, physical therapist, to his credit, said, let's get you ready. And started training me for my cardio and my strength in my leg for that fight. And I went back to my doctor and he goes, I don't think you understood the fact that I said you can't fight again. I said, I'm fighting. I said, you might as well just sponsor me because I'm fighting. And know what he did? He gave me a thousand bucks and he sponsored me. And I gave him a, a table at the fight and he went and watched me fight. And after he's like, I was so worried about your leg, my work on your leg. You know? Well, and it worked out well. Now, yeah. you mentioned you, you, uh, you're now, uh, I'll call you it again, professor, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, which obviously means you've got some, some great grappling. Now, if I, I've probably, I don't know, we've worked together maybe five or six times. Um, if I, my memory serves correctly, the fights that I've seen uh, in the cage, you tend to rely more on your stand-up or the fights just haven't gone to the ground. Uh, and I don't know if that's by your choice or by your opponent's choice or that's just how things happen. But it seems to me that you, you stay on your feet a lot more than, than you don't. Yes. Is that by design? Uh, it Kind of. So I trust my corner a lot. And so if my corner says, hey, take him down, I'm taking him down. So I went with Lightning Leva. Do you remember that fight? Um, he had a big lightning strike on his arm, and me and him went to go fight. And Was this here? In it town? was here in Cruces. The last, the, now, the last fight that I worked with you, you fought the guy that the blonde-headed kid from, like, Germany who Billy had fought at Alamo in the, yes. the, where yep. B.A. fought. Yes. Was that the guy? No, different guy. Okay. So a while back, I was fighting this guy, Lightning Leva, and apparently he has really fast hands. I didn't test him. So we kind of played a little bit, played a bit, a little bit. I pushed him up against the cage, took him down, and beat him up. Second round, they go, beautiful, do that again. Okay. So I pushed him up against the cage, took him down. I hit him. I counted those punches in the second round. Zero punches he landed on me, and I landed over 50. And every one of them landed because I'm sitting right there holding him and punching him. He couldn't move. And I looked at, at the ref whenever the bell rang. I was like, come on, ref, how many punches do I have to get before you stop the fight? I was giving him a chance. 50 to nothing, like 50-something to nothing. Come on, man. And so he started getting all worried. And the third round, the guy beat me in the third round, or beat that, won that third round, but I won the fight. 
shook hands with him. But normally, I enjoy fighting. I like every bit of it. Stand up, ground, everything. So normally, I try to um, just kind of go with the flow, which i am really been arguing with myself about that. I need to decide where the fight goes, period. And if, if I go to the ground, it's because I choose to go to the ground. And I've defended the ground because of that, but I haven't ever chosen. Like, I don't work to get to the ground. So, But once I'm on the ground, I'm great. Yeah. So, well, you've got something booked in Mexico and Chihuahua City next month, right? February 20th, yes. So February 20th. And who's the promoter? What's the card? Um, I, I can't pronounce it. Am I going to make you speak Spanish? Yeah, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the promoter. But um, it's it's February 20th. I'll be boxing um, four rounds. And one of, the, one of the pro fighters from El Paso actually hit me up and said, hey, we're having fights in Mexico. Would you like to get on it? I said, yeah. So it's, it'll be my fourth, third time. Fourth time in Mexico, fighting in Mexico. So. Now it's a, that's in Chihuahua City, you said. Correct. That's a good good ten hour drive, isn't it? Four hours. It's only four hours. Yeah. Now, do you when you travel outside the, the states, do you take your whole corner with you? Do you go with all your seconds or? N- not whole. I, I. A lot of them are really busy, so I ask who's available, and then I take those. And so who are you? Who's who's working with you right now? Is it still Mike and Justin and and Jesse? Yes. And Jesse. Yes. Okay. Um. Anything else booked or lined up? Other I have another it? fight in, in, in Chihuahua in um, March, and then I'm trying to get on the rough card in March as well for MMA. Where's that? That's in um, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Now, uh, I mean, at some point you you realize you're going to have to call it quits. Yeah. Do you have uh, a timetable or do you have yes. anything in your head like once I suffer this injury or I accomplish this? I mean, certain injuries are going to just shut it down. I mean, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do anything after my Achilles, but I decided I was going to, and I did. One of the things that I think is kind of funny is people go, oh, your age, oh, your um, this is messed up or that's messed up, and people use that, I'm just too old. People do that, oh, okay. And normally when I when I say, oh, okay, somebody else goes, hey, Randy, how old are you? Well, oh, I'm 46, and they're like, man, because they're like 32, and they're saying they're too old. It's, it's a choice, and um, my goal right now is minimum of 50 fights. After I hit 50 fights total between boxing and MMA, then I can start looking at what I'm going to do. And where and are you at now? 33. You better get busy. I would. I would have had at least 40 by the end of the last year if that if the stupid COVID wouldn't have hit. Did you fight at all last year? Three, two times. Okay, and where did you fight? Mexico. In Mexico. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I had one MMA fight, and it was in a boxing ring, but I had an MMA fight. And it was really funny because we normally do three five-minute rounds, right? Well, they're like... Well, these are boxing judges, so we're going to do five three-minute rounds. Okay, they can't judge for an extra two minutes at a time. Whatever. Either way. And so I went out there, and this guy, I fought his his corner I fought before. So his coach was my last fight in Mexico. And then so now I'm fighting him. And so his coach tells him to not, no matter what, do not go to the ground. So he would, anytime I'd, like, lock up with him or anything, he's just trying to get away from me, sprinting away from me. And um, then they started yelling combos in Spanish, of course, because they're from Mexico. And they're telling him to hit me in the belly. So I slap my belly, and I raise my hands and go, Panza! Manale pues, panza! And he just backs up and shakes his head, no, no. You know? <laughs> and then so I hit him in the belly, and I was like, la panza! And his corner's like, we should shut up. <laughs> now, I notice, as, as, as is the case for all of us, I've had to watch my weight my whole life. It's, right. get, it's harder and harder. I know that the last time... You had to make 185 was probably the last time you're making 185 because I, I, I think wrote, I went. You were eating at Lorenzo's after after making weight. I knew you missed. Yeah, I missed it tw- two times, and after the second time, I stopped. Like I, 
I was 192, 192 when I woke up the day of the weigh-in. I lost two pounds and my body said no. And this is all day. Was this after water loading all week? Yes. And so, so I had seven pounds to lose. It would be nothing. And it went down two and stopped. And it's not like I was just doing it by myself. I had two of my coaches there pushing me, working me. Yeah. Okay, let's go for a run. Okay, let's go lay down. Put me in in a sauna suit. Let's go sit in the sauna. Let's and we're doing all this, and I only lost two pounds. And so I apologized to my cor- my my um, opponent. opponent, and I said I'll never fight at one eighty five again. Yeah, I remember because I had to bring you. I had to bring you some t shirts uh, while you were eating dinner, and you man, you were not happy. Nobody nobody's happy during a weight cut. <laughs> yeah, um, but man, you were you were in some kind of way. It was and rough. um now the good thing is and I was thinking about this before the regional circuits of course in in MMA uh we have set obviously set weight classes but there's a lot more room for catch weights. Yeah, I've, I've fought more. at 195, I fought at 200. I've um I've even fought at 180 before. Like they've yeah. offered it so But you're not going to be going down to 185 anymore. No. No, I'm done. Like yeah. I'm I'm done with that. I, it's not a tough cut for me to get to 205. It's still not fun. But yeah. it's not like killer. Well, what are you walking around at right now? Right now I'm at 230. Okay, so yeah, we're I'm about 10 pounds more than you are. And yeah. believe me, it's – I wish – I'm the only guy in the world, the first half marathon I ever trained for, I gained nine pounds. <laughs> so if you want to ever want to know what my weight loss journey is like, that's probably <laughs> that is it in a nutshell. And, I man, I'm the kind of guy I would rather run an extra three or four miles than watch what I eat. I hate dieting. And as I'm getting older, man, it's so much harder. Well, it's really nice. I have a – my strength and conditioning coach is also my nutritionist, and we went back and forth about how I'm making it, how I, all this type of stuff. So now he makes it, and I buy the food, and I pay him. Like, I don't care. I don't have a wife to make the food for me, so I want to be a lazy guy, and you make them, and I'll just eat them. And he does. So I pick up meals every three days from him, and I eat the meals. There you go. Maybe we should probably give him a plug, too. <laughs> does, is he running a business, or is he just doing it for you? He's doing it for me. He hasn't done it for other people. No Have you experienced pain in your lower extremities, even your hips or lower back after standing or walking? Your feet may not fit in your shoes or on the ground properly. Soulman Foot Insoles, with 30 years experience making people's feet feel more comfortable, can help. Henry Soulman Veloz is the official insole provider for UTEP Athletics and has made custom insoles for my athletic, casual, dress shoes, and work boots for 15 years now. You can find him on Facebook at Soulman Custom Foot Insoles or you can call him at 915-241-2153. That is S-O-L-E-M-A-N Custom Foot Insole on Facebook and call him 915-241-2153. Well, that's good. Randy, where can we find you? Um, I know you're a shameless self-promoter. Um, now we always like to give people a platform here and, and, and of course, um, I always like to support people. Randy, you're a hell of a nice guy. I've known you, you know, five years now. Um, always love working with you. Um, don't know if I ever want to roll with you again. That was obviously very painful for me, but, um, no, where can people find you on Facebook and Instagram and all your other platforms? Facebook, just look up Randy McCarty, um, on Instagram, wreck it, Randy. You can look up, um, it's kind of hyphenated weird, but if you just type it in, I'm the top guy. You could also look. On Google, just Google my name, and you'll find my picture, and then you can find it through there. And can we find? Uh, do you have videos of just you doing the worm and the other dances you do? I actually do. Yeah, there's a there's a fight that um, I was down in Laredo. It was an MMA fight in a boxing ring, and the the guy posted it while I was while I was in the fight. Like he videoed me do this stuff, and he goes, "The most amazing intro I've ever seen." Right, and he's he's a, the video camera guy for the fights, and he posted it 
while I was in, and when I got out of the fight, over a hundred thousand people had already had already viewed it. I was like, oh my gosh! So I posted. So I have that one as well. Randy McCarty is an internet sensation. He's a <laughs> middle aged guy who's still <laughs> fighting competitively, and and he's doing pretty damn well. Uh, Randy, thank you for being on the show. Good luck to you, February twentieth in Chihuahua. If we have any listeners down in Mexico, don't hesitate to get your tickets. And um, I'm really looking forward to whenever we get things going in New Mexico again. I want to work with you here, uh, whether it's on Southwest Brawl here in Las Cruces or any of the King of the Cage, uh, if they decide to bring that back. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have uh, joined us for another episode, and we're thankful for that. This has been uh, My Hour with Randy McCarty. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and we are the Square Peg Podcast. We'll see you next time. Proudly produced by Las Cruces Today.com and Bravo Mike Communications.